We're acting like we have Spanish music. Wow, what great Spanish music that it's was that we setup. just listened to. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Accardo. It is Wednesday... February 27th. Hey, look at that. <laughs> Nailed it. Yes, and. Um, <laughs> that was more just like, yes, also. <laughs> yes, also. Um, so, John, uh, anything exciting happened to you in Magic this week? Uh, I did Magic Bar again last night. Oh, yes. And, and Lou Ben Trader with Jonathan Levitt. And man, those were good shows. He's He is great. Yeah. If anyone hasn't seen Jonathan Levitt perform, he is so good. I'd forgotten how good he was. Also dashing. He's he's He has these nice tailored suits, and he told me about where he gets his clothes tailored, and he is just so, like, he looks good, he's well-dressed, he's just so classy. And he's, Local or overseas for this tailoring? Um, he was telling me about a place where he actually gets them online, and I cannot remember the name. I want to say Black Lapel. Oh, uh-huh. Uh, does that sound familiar? That does sound a little bit familiar. Um, it's not based in L.A. The way it works, he told me, is that... You basically go to a tailor. You have to find a really nice tailor. You can't just go to your dry you get cleaner. Measured up. You get measured up. You send them your measurements, and they ask you a million and one questions about yourself and kind of the way clothes fit. And they send clothes, they send the suits back to you, and then they actually pay you $75 to then bring those. They, they, they put $75 towards having those tailored to fit you in case they're off a little bit, to have uh-huh. them adjusted by a tailor. That's cool. And then they save those measurements for next time you want a um, suit. And he looked fantastic. And he... Uh, he was just so good, and he, so much of his magic was so clever. Mm-hmm. It was so much of it fooled me on the first run through. Yeah, and then I I got it. Some of them I got in the second time around. Yeah, um, which is really all you can ask for, right? Oh, sure. I mean, that, that wasn't any, like oh, a no, statement no, no. against his. No, I'm saying that like um, I think fooling someone on the first go is pretty much the the bar. Sure, anything can be like sort of deconstructed. I think that's one thing about YouTube these days. Right, is that. Uh, the things that would stand that would be up to snuff, like just in a live performance, if they're captured on video, and you get to watch a million times over. And sure, over. It's, like, it's like, not meant know, to be watched like that. Full them on the first time, it's great. Yeah, so uh, so much of the subtleties he was using were just really effective. Uh-huh. I'd seen him give a lecture at the castle last year, and there's this basically this trick he does where four people select cards, and he kind of reads their minds to get those cards in sort of four different ways. And the it's a very clever routine. Obviously, it's you know I won't go into it. Um, I'm not sure if he markets it or not, but it's uh, basically there's a lot of different methods going in that are all very subtle. The way he gets each of the cards, the way he the the routine kind of builds and and, and the little dramatic subtleties he has that both kind of create comedic moments that are interesting and sort of support the plot while also being a part of the method were just great. He is so good. Yeah, he's great. Uh, Actually, talking about that, because you're talking about you're sort of also saying that the routine itself is so, like there's a lot of extra things besides the methods that are really good. Right. Which all builds together to, you know, it's how these little subtleties are helping the methods be stronger, yeah. but they're also making the routine a little more interesting. And that's, I think one of the best things you can have is something that kind of solves its own problem. It, right. It is part of the method is kind of important and sort of integral, integral to making that routine more deceptive, more fooling, more impossible, while also being entertaining, while also sort of being true to your performance and your character. That's just, you know, that's yeah. great. Uh, the reason I wanted to focus on that was I've been watching a lot of, uh, I've been watching a fair amount of YouTube magic recently mm-hmm. and was watching. Do you mean little... magic on YouTube or like magic? I was just watching like... the way that uh, Google servers serve up video to <laughs> people. It's magic. Uh, <laughs> just like within an instant. But like, do you mean people like uh, YouTube magicians? Because I will mainly watch acts that find their way to YouTube, like a theater. I've been watching show acts, films. but I've also been watching like tutorials on various moves and that kind of stuff. For example, I I have to learn how to do a pinky count, and sure, those are kind of tough. Reading Jason Ladanya's book, I have to do this. I'm just I've got a single card and clicking it with my pinky. Oh, is that how the he trains you to do it? He wants me to do this for a few weeks. Oh my gosh, in the book, he's <laughs> what he said. Um, and then like, eventually I go to like 10 cards and then, you know, what's sad is, um, that I actually kind of intuitively can do it with my right hand. However, there's no other moves that I can do with my right hand. Interestingly enough, I know two people off the top of my head that are right handed, but I know one very that I was recently watching his penguin lecture. You're about to talk, we're about to say the same person. Well, add to on the, three. I'm, I'm going to add him to the handsome magicians club too. Yep. One, two, three. three. John, John Carney. Carney. John Carney. Uh, in the thing, was saying that he's right-handed and learned. And what's what's when I saw him say that, 
I was like, oh man, it would be actually helpful for a lot of tricks to be able to do it this way. For context, most magicians, if you're right-handed, you're taught to do a lot of these moves in your left hand. Um, and that is you know, where you're holding a deck in mechanics grip, and that's where you're yeah. dealing the dealer's position. All of that is in Who, your left the hand. Who's the other one? Uh, Robert Ramirez. Robert Ramirez is right Oh, I right-handed. thought he was lefty. Uh, so did I. And then a few weeks ago, he was like, no, I'm right-handed, but it just makes more sense. And I was like, you crazy well, motherfucker. John Carney said that basically he was like... It's pretty good at, company. He was looking at them. all the moves that people learn, mm-hmm. and a lot of the hard stuff is done by the bottom hand, not by the top hand. So he was like, why would I learn it with, like, my non-dominant hand, like... He makes a very good point. Yeah, and I and I've, I I really could not articulate a proper response to that other than it's what I've always done. Yeah. and don't well, ruin, I mean, <laughs> don't ruin the last decade oh, of my upbringing in magic. No, no, no. Like it makes sense for you because you've learned it that way. I'm but I'm so near the beginning of that. I was almost a little. It was like when I first learned how to touch type. I was almost like, should I learn the Dvorak keyboard right. instead of QWERTY? But uh, no. Uh, but the reason it can I, are you I, gonna switch? No. Okay. Because I thought about it and I was like, I, no, I should just learn how to do pink account with my left. Now, some people might say you should learn how to do the moves with both hands. Right. But um, I guess neither of us is one of those people. Yes. <laughs> um, so the reason I bring it, I was watching YouTube tutorials and then I was watching uh, this guy, Xavier Spade, who I actually really like. He has a YouTube channel um, and he does a thing called Fix Your Trick. Cool. Where um, he has a Reddit forum where people aspiring in magic can put up videos of their own tricks or little effects that they're doing mm-hmm. and then he goes onto a live stream and like critiques them mm. and then he'll show them like he's got like a top-down view of his hands so he'll be like okay instead of doing this try doing this it's mm-hmm. actually very informative uh however while watching it and sort of reading a lot of like card magic and magic forms on subreddit uh on reddit um i was thinking like the older generation of magicians, and also I would say like you, like coming from a more traditional uh, school of thought about magic, at this point I'd say has nothing to worry about from this crew of like kids learning card moves off of YouTube, because almost without exception they don't have any routines with them. Right, like, which has always been my fear and danger of that type of. Uh, instructional device yeah. is that it leaves out a major part of what it is to perform magic yeah it's very uh, uh not sterile but it's very it's very mechanical in a way that's just like here it, it's it actually seems more like cardistry right because it is it's very like it's these you all these youtube videos and tutorials are chest down just yeah. look at my hands sort of things yeah and there's also no uh dialogue like they're right they're, there's they're, sometimes there's just music over it or yeah. there's really there's nothing and which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's it's sometimes can be helpful to learn those moves. However, you need the new generation when you're learning magic. It it really is important that you understand that you're performing it. And, and so many. I mean, I just feel like we. I'm, and I don't actually feel any particular way about this, but I think that you might end up with a generation of magicians that are. Um, uh, that will bounce off of real people and audiences in a, in a very awkward way for like years. Sure. So when I was in the junior program, that was when cardistry was kind of blowing up. Yeah. There were people in the junior program like Zach Mueller, who is, was one of the big pioneers of cardistry and he's, you know, makes cards still those Fontaines, which are hugely popular, Uh wildly successful. And my, I was in retrospect, I probably just never learned cardistry because it was too hard. And I was like, Oh, that's difficult. (laughs) Well, all of it's too hard. Right. And you only have so many hours. Right. So, but the, the what I noticed with cardistry, and this is when I was maybe 17 or 18 and kind of on my way out of the junior program, I was, I was one of the old, uh, older members, I had noticed that a lot of people that are getting really, really into that were sort of doing it in their acts, which is, uh, which was uh, fine for me, but they were, you know, doing these long, crazy cardistry things, but they were not great at performing and yeah. that was like all of their energy was going into perfecting these insane moves yeah. and I wasn't doing those but I was able to perform decently well in front of an audience and I was a, I was a confident performer and that was my big worry then was I'm afraid that people are going to con- you know confuse cardistry for just magic and kind of mix the two together luckily I'm uh, cardistry in the last five six years has really found its own niche and its own community yeah and I don't fear that happening anymore they 
it used to be kind of that like cardistry was its own subsection of magic right. and a lot of people would kind of do the two at the same time but since then cardistry has really built its own very strong very active community which i think is great yeah but i just anytime it's that that is confused for magic and that is sort of put in as magic uh is is not for me necessarily yeah i um I, I I love cardistry though. That that's not any statement against cardistry. It's, it's very beautiful to watch. Pretty incredible to watch. Yeah, I think uh, I think this that like. Well, there's been a lot of trepidation about like the younger YouTube generation of magicians, and so I guess it's bad in a sense if you care about like young talent coming into the system, sort of learning it quote the right way. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't see. Like everybody that I watched over the last three days, like none of them could like put an act together, right? And like do it in front of real people. Yeah, um, fuck these kids. Uh, Let's name some names. Well, no, no. Based on just what, like, I mean, they're just very, um, they're, I guess, like the sort of the polar opposite of me, where it's like they have all these technical skills, uh, but I can't see them, right? You know, which you know raises an interesting question in that I wonder what the future of magic is. Well, that's I mean, why you might be worried about it. Is if it's affecting what audiences like and what they want, and it's right. different than what you provide. Right. So I could see somebody being worried about that. However, I I feel like if you go to the castle, you would see like technical skill, skill combined with mm-hmm. good performance, and that would always be like oh, I enjoyed that more. Hopefully, I, I would say that because I mean, for me, social media. I, I was of an age and a generation that. I had a lot of my childhood before a lot of that blew up. Uh-huh. Um, that was not huge. And you're probably the last generation that I is really like am. That. I mean, I had a Facebook, you know, and a MySpace in seventh. Eighth, I had like a MySpace in seventh eighth grade. I got a Facebook in like ninth or tenth grade, and Instagram wasn't really a thing when I was in high school. Snapchat didn't exist uh, yet, but TikTok, the, TikTok, the <laughs> hot new app sweeping the nation. <laughs> but I, I was, I, I like to think or. I think that I was one of the last generations that definitely had sort of a an upbringing, you know, through those teenage years without a enormous social media influence the way that teenagers have now. Yeah. I'm not trying to sound I'm really not trying to sound like an old man like back in my day it was this, but No, I mean, if anything you're lucky that you had this. So, I but all I would say is that so yeah, I mean, these things aren't going away and so the it's interesting to see what now that this is such a pervasive force and such a strong force in people's lives in such young adolescent years, it's, it's interesting to see where this is going to take magic. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I am open to that. I, I don't want to, I really don't want to fall into kind of what I hate of, oh, well, this is how it's always been. So this is how it's best. And we yeah. can't do it in a new way. I think there's going to be, you know, magic on TV, magic on Netflix, magic on YouTube, magic on Instagram. Those things aren't going away. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm very curious to see how that develops and what is maybe, and to see people, how they interact with the problems that come up on those mediums and how people solve those problems. Yeah, I think that... Um, uh, no, I don't remember what I was going to say. Oh, sorry, <laughs> you, I didn't mean you hit You Darren Browned me. Did I Darren Brown? What does Darren Browning do? Darren Brown is when he goes on a train and he's like, he taps someone in their forehead and they can't remember where they were getting off. Like, they can't remember their stop. And then he taps them again. They remember. He, if I, I tap you on the forehead, will you forget your address? <laughs> forget where you live right now? Yeah. Seven seven one Seacliff Drive. That's my home address from Houston. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess I, if I was somebody aspiring to be a magician, I would think right now there's a there's a big way to zig versus zagging, where like you actually go out and work with people and like develop those performance skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, what you're saying might happen might be something similar that happened in basketball, which is that. Um, the base technical skill of a basketball player now, especially uh, like a somebody who handles the ball a lot, is way higher than it used to be. Really? Because um, of the and one mixtapes and YouTube and stuff like that, people started seeing moves that professionals were doing, and then now like a nine-year-old would learn how to do really dribbles that like weren't, weren't even attempted back in the day. So uh, something similar might happen with Magic, where just like... I mean, I think it is. I mean- like basic card handling skill probably is like higher than it like or could potentially be higher than what it was just because of the democratization of how those moves are available yeah and i think that's just true for absolutely everything in the world i mean just on youtube yeah and online you can just find so much and there's so much content out there that people yeah have so such easy access to they didn't have 
five, ten years ago. And also there's um, something in human beings where, you know, nobody thought you could do like a 360 dunk. And then once people did it... What it is a like, 360 dunk? You d- jump, turn a full 360 degrees and dunk the basketball. Oh, cool. Is that just a style thing or is that... It's a style thing. Is but, there like any practicality to that? Because that no, sounds cool. No, there's no practicality. But I mean, event. there is a person who did like a 720 at one point. Right. Um, but it was like, I wonder if all this technical skill being shared online, basically, there's moves that you wouldn't even think to do until you see, see someone do it. Right. Not even like necessarily a tutorial. You might just be like, oh, I didn't know to do that. And I think that will raise everybody's level. I might have said this on this podcast before, and I don't have that many interesting thoughts. So it's likely that this has come out before. Yeah. But when I went to FISM last year, that was, I mean, that almost exactly what you said was flooding my brain that entire week is that there was so much stuff that I saw from these other countries that absolutely astounded me. Simon Cornell, who I spent a lot of time with there, and a friend of his named YC and another student of Shoots. Um, named Kenshin. The four of us were to spend the whole week sort of talking about magic and had some great discussions. And Simon kept kind of poking at this idea of when was the last time that we were truly, truly, truly felt really astonished. Like when, you know, because it's so rare. Even when we see good magic, we're not absolutely destroyed by it. And so we kept kind of talking about that. And that really happened for all of us that week. You know, people Uh like when we, none of us knew who Eric Chen was, and no one, no one really knew who Eric Chen was, at mm-hmm. least out in the West. And so when he, won, you know, when he competed, it was super obvious he was going to win, and we all were absolutely blown away by how incredible that act is. If you haven't seen Eric Chen, C H I E N, you can see his Grand Prix award-winning act on YouTube. It's absolutely wonderful. I would guess, I, I bet, almost everyone. If, if you're listening to this, you must have seen it. Probably, but if you, on the off chance you haven't, boy. Yeah. I'm okay with you pausing this and watching that and coming back because it's about to blow your fucking mind. And there were so many other things that didn't that have not gotten huge, uh, huge press after that. Like there was this kid named Yuki from Japan. It was 16, uh, 17 years old, I think. Got third place in manipulation, tied for third prize in manipulation, and he was doing card manipulation. And he, his, his, he kept showing his hands super empty. He wasn't just showing, you know, he wasn't doing the classic back palm. Yeah. He was, he was, you know, waving his fingers around and then showing the front and back of his hand and then producing a whole fan of cards. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing. And I, we were talking about how I, I had this theory that it's amazing how quickly FISM jumps up every three years uh-huh. because it's, and I think about it doesn't, you don't have to go that far back to see a Grand Prix winning act that was great, deserved to win the Grand Prix, that if it were to take that exact act and have it compete, you know, three years, six years later, the next one or two FISMs later, if had no one had ever seen it before, would not do very well. Uh-huh. Would, you know, maybe get sixth, seventh or something. Be just because people keep moving forward, it's pretty amazing how the, the quality of these methods just keeps improving. And then Simon, who can speak so eloquently, uh, the way he put it is that, you know, there are these visionaries that take all of these things to the next level. So what happens is you have a visionary introduce a brand new idea, a brand new concept, blows everyone's mind with it, but now everyone's seen it and everybody knows it. So now you have a new generation of visionaries that take those ideas and then take those to a new level. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you see that. And, and especially now that these acts are becoming more available and easier to find, that's just going to start happening so much, so much faster. Yeah. And things that are incredible in one you know year – it will not take long for those to become the standard that everybody has to start at. It's interesting because I don't know if, and I don't even know if it's possible for there to be similar innovations in routining. <laughs> like, you know, because your routine is sort of still coming from like a theatrical right. tradition and just live performers and hosting and talking to an audience or whatever. Right. Um, so I don't know if that's that probably isn't a thing. But it's interesting that one side of it will be advancing very quickly right. for the next 20 years and the other side will still <laughs> i think that might sometimes make the contrast more stark is that the other side might still be like doing saying things that you hate <laughs> in routines i hope not i i like to think that i mean along with that will also come well i think standard you know I, would you agree that i mean obviously there's huge public debates about this but would would you say that comedy has improved over the last five ten years as far as updating with the times due to public opinion yeah it has to well i mean would yeah. you say that it has i know there are a lot of people that hold out and the adam carolla's of the world being like sure there's people that hold on to the old ways and you know, the what Joe they Rogans. do is because they 
you can hold on to your old ways if you have a sufficiently large audience to keep your, mm-hmm. you know, maintain the lifestyle that you want to live. So Joe Rogan can sort of peel off now and keep his audience for the rest of his life. Right. It, you know, uh, that's what Louis C.K. When when Louis C.K. really f- full form comes back, he will have cordoned off a chunk of his old audience that he'll keep. Right. He he has lost a gigantic part of his audience. Do you think he'll ever be able to? achieve the status that he's had before probably not because i mean he was the biggest comedian in the world probably he was, he was my number he was my favorite comedian and yeah i you know he probably won't be able to um he because of what he likes to talk about right it, it, the, first of all the only way he can get anywhere close to it is if he comes back and speaks directly about what happened and Which, makes fun of himself. It sounds like, as far as I've heard, he's not done. He is not done. In fact... Uh, Aziz Ansari has, by the way. Um, yeah, he's doing a tour, and I hear he talks a lot about that. Yeah. Um, he's actually in L.A. He just did, a, like, five days of the Orpheum. Well, it's the only way, because if you sell yourself as... It's not like Louis C.K. and Aziz were stand-ups that were, like, Emo Phillips or something, or, you know, something conceptual, where they... Even, like, Dimitri Martin, where they never talked about their personal lives, and it's mm-hmm. very abstract. You know, Brian Regan just talking about every day... observations they're like dredging up their own personal lives and a lot of louis stuff specifically was look at these horrible thoughts that i have in my head and look at what what an awful person my brain wants to be Mm -hmm. with this underlying agreement with between you and the audience of like but i'm not really that guy like there's a certain there's a certain um we can explore these topics because i would never actually like sexually assault somebody right and then he can talk about how his his brain keeps telling him or you know guys are like this or whatever you know he has a very famous routine about like you know the differences that men and women have going into dating and that women are like worried that right men will like kill them right so any sort of questions like why would a woman ever go on a date with a man right so like it's it's fun to have a savvy sympathetic explorer talk about these topics um and then you can sort of give them permission to go into like dangerous territory and it's fun and it's, you know, it's comedic. Once that person has been revealed to sort of be <laughs> working for the other side, right. it's no longer uh, enjoyable so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he could possibly get back to it, but he has a lot of repair work to do and he doesn't seem like he's willing to do it at all. Well, I, when I did that comedy and magic show at UCB, yeah, this is an, uh, there was a Jackie Cation uh-huh. was on that bill. Yeah. Who I know you're a fan of uh-huh. and fairly prominent comedian. And uh, she was backstage and she was talking to some other comedians about it. And I, I think something had just happened with him. This is before the whole trans joke thing. Well before that. Right. Um, I think this was, he had just performed in France maybe. Yeah, but he was definitely, he was on his, he'd come back a little bit. He'd definitely come back a little bit. And it was, she was talking about how weird it was. She was talking about the comedians that have distanced himself and like, you know, stories about uh people like gerard carmichael kind of giving him the cold shoulder and you know anyway but she was saying uh she goes if you would just write the bit yeah he could get past this but he refuses to do it yeah and the the bit being you know talking honestly about this situation yeah i mean he honestly i'm surprised he hasn't to be honest with well you. this is the this is what's um um also not doesn't speak the best of us as a society that he probably could, if he did a one man show about the like three or four incidents that people know about and like really delved into the way that he delved into material in the past and sort of examined every part of it. Um, this doesn't speak great. I bet he would be forgiven and sort of let back into at least near where he was before. Mm-hmm. Now it even says something worse about him that he doesn't want to do that because it's been so much his comedic instinct to really unearth those things that makes me seem even creepier now. Cause it's like, well, so now this sort of underlines the fact that this is some strange area of you that you really don't, you haven't figured out yet for yourself. Right. So until then, like, I'm not particularly interested in hearing him talk about, it's just weird, like, for him to talk about other stuff. Right. Um, I just, I don't know. So uh, how do we get on Louis C.K.? I don't know. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, I uh, we, we do want to start a, our comedy magic show. Yeah, we do. Uh, you're going on a trip, though. I'm about to embark on a voyage, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you'll be in Europe. I don't know if we have European listeners. We might. 
Uh, well, we're going to after this. No, I yeah, don't know. Push how, it at the shows. Yeah, yeah. Put up a little card. I says. hope you French people know English. <laughs> if so. Um, so, yeah. I actually have something to show you. Oh. Uh, I got this as a... You know on Amazon sometimes you're like, you need to spend $35 or $45 to like get this the next day. Right. Um, this is what I filled in an extra $9 with. Okay. Oh, I don't know. They sold these on Amazon. Uh, they do. Um, I man, I I break these quicker than I even so, thought was possible. So these are. I'm holding a pack of condoms. Yeah. Um, <laughs> these are uh, these are um, Yigal Masika loops. Yes. Very well made. As you can tell, I have already broken two. broken two. Yeah, it happens so easily. One of which I broke pulling off of this card. <laughs> Um, so these are loops. Uh, these are like stretchy little loops, uh, and they're fun. There's a lot of stuff you can do with those. Yeah. Do you? Is this a thing that you? When I saw this, I was like, I feel like John doesn't use these at all. I have such a limited experience with thread work in general. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I every six months I have a bunch of loops at home. Every six months I sit down. There's a cool card routine uh-huh. that uses them um, that Bill Goodwin showed me, uh, and I can't remember. I would credit it. If I knew the, the could remember the name of it, I might do that next week. I mean, it's on my phone, I think. But I mean, I can make a fork spin around now. Hey, um, similar to other uh, quest for magic is over. So similar to other experiences I've had in magic, my problem is getting into it. Cause, like actually loading the fork onto the thing is right. like not the easiest. I thing. mean, I even see to me the I see the most experienced people in the world, and I still see that just that moment where they yeah they pull that thread well know where it needs to be. Um, these are really fun. I actually think if you're listening. Why not? Next time you need to go over a certain amount for Amazon, just throw some loops on there. They're very fun. However, they're so uh, they're really hard to see, and they're hard to feel. And so one of the reasons I broke one of them was I wasn't sure where it was in my hands, and just pulled my hands apart in a way. I was like, oh, well, there it goes. You will never guess the magician that is credited for the trick I have with loops on my phone right now. Uh, who? Mr. You're Not That Bright... Are you himself? Bruce Servan. <laughs> we were just talking about Bruce Servan off mic. Yes. I have uh, I've procured two uh, DVDs by Bruce Servan. They're, uh, they're Ultra Servan Volume 1 and 2. They are the um, accompaniment to his book, Ultra Servan, which lots of people have recommended. Handsome Jack uh, said that one of his favorite routines of all time is in the Ultra Servan book. How is that routine? Have you read that routine? Uh, it's called Conus Aces. Mm-hmm. And I started to read it, and I, I need to show it to you at some point, because like literally step two, I was like, I don't understand what's happening. Oh. And then I got the DVDs hoping that Conus Aces would be on them, and they're not. It's oh, not. Um, but uh, yeah, the not too bright thing is he's a little bit surly with his audience member. He has a very uh, imperious, ar- kind of arrogant tone. Anyway, he like did like a packet trick where he was like, so do you think the ace or the four is on top now? And the lady was like, the four? And he was like, nope, it's the ace. Not too bright, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Just like, it worked for him, I guess. Um, I think that's an L&L An L&L video. DVD? Yeah. I, if you go to my Instagram, ambitious.chris, you can see I put a clip of him just sort of zapping into place. <laughs> it just like appears. Yeah. There's even like a little lightning bolt yeah. animation. There's lightning bolts all over the place. Yeah. Um, a lot of fun. So uh, he zaps in and goes, you ain't too bright. And then zaps out. <laughs> he does a lot of like, this is a routine I came up with. And then Di Vernon said he liked it. <laughs> and I was actually reading a little bit about Bruce Irvine. Uh Apparently Di Vernon did not like him at first. Oh, like he, he, was, he was just sort of put off by his nature, but I guess he was such a good magician, a close up magician mm-hmm. that Di eventually took him into the fold. I see. Um, what year did Di Vernon die? He died in 1992. Oh, so this is well before your time. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm wondering who, who, I'm wondering what of the younger generation of magicians are the ones that have met him, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, well, how old do you have to be to have been around the castle and, like, run into him? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, like you said, he, he was pretty active up until he died, so anybody that was around in the 80s, yeah, which are there still plenty of. They know him. Uh, John John Carney is a disciple of his. I believe right? he is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can recommend that John Carney Penguin Magic. Yeah, you really enjoyed it. You're texting me how much you liked it. I really liked it. Um, There's somebody else that I also I bought like a three you know buy three get oh, four Penguin. You live. also texted me that you the person who I was sort of 
talking about last time. About as someone who is just has an inability to be present with an audience. Yes. Had a lecture, and you kind of now having seen that person perform, you you sort of affirmed what I said over that text, right? I think that he is perhaps somebody who has zero ability to talk to an audience, and maybe even like slightly spec have a spectrum disorder and has constructed a public persona that is very polished, but has no cracks in it whatsoever. It's very, um, those cracks are sometimes very, um, human. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like he's talking to you ever. Like even when he's got audience volunteers on stage, it's very weird. It's, um, it's yeah. It's it's a, it was it is very strange, isn't it? Yeah. He's still I, I think a, a good performer. Yeah. Solid magician. Um, yeah. Very good magician. But yeah, there was watching that show. I I thought a lot about it. That, that yeah. it did not feel like he was in that room with us. Uh, John Carney, however, is very uh, personable. Yeah. Also, <laughs> he like in the lecture like messes two tricks up, and he's like, oh yeah, I forgot to do. <laughs> he's kind of like like. Um, a little bit like Goofy's sloppy uncle kind of showing you stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause he's like, Oh, well uh, I forgot to uh, here. Let me do this again. <laughs> oh, no. Which I kind of, I think it's kind of endearing. That's fun. Um, but I also thought while watching that, that if he could sing, he should absolutely do the producers. Oh, you think he should yeah, be an he should, producer? Yes, he absolutely should. I don't see him being that mean as a character. He's such a nice guy. I just, he kind of reminds me of Nathan Lane. Um, I don't see that, but yeah. Um, Anyway, he seems very, uh, like a nice person. Also, like, also technically skilled. What magician would be a good Leo Bloom if you were the if you were Max? Is Leo Bloom the uh, Matthew Broderick? Yes. Uh, he has to be younger. Has to be younger. I mean, you could do it. You and John Carney could do it. <laughs> All right, everybody, come to the come to the Peller Theater this yeah. December as you see a forty-five minute rendition of the producers by John Carney. And That'd John be pretty Carter. funny, actually. Um, so yeah. Also, I want to give a little shout out to Robert Ramirez's YouTube channel. Oh have you yeah, I've been watching this? it. I've watched a little bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. His trick a day. Yes. Uh, is it actually a trick per day? Um, I think he banks a lot of them. He's going through a book. Well, he's also been so busy. Yeah. Uh, he he is. I, I keep trying to have him on, but he's out of town, and we keep missing him. He, yeah. Like in the last three weeks, he's done a lot of cool things. Some of which I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about, but I I hope to have him on and talk about it because he's been doing. He's been killing it. Um, he uh, he's taking you, a book. Uh, what's it called? Variations. Um, Variations revisited, I think, and sort of demonstrating tricks from the book. Yeah, so pretty cool. He's talked to me. He loves the idea of just taking picking one bit book and learning every single trick from it, and really diving into it. Yeah, and this is the opposite of my approach, where I have two hundred books mm-hmm. and I have half learned tricks from all of them. Yeah, I've half learned one trick from every single one. Right. But what happens to me is Earl Nelson, I, I think is the I almost regularly author. am now running into like this trick seems cool and I get to like step seven and I'm like, Oh, I can't do that part. <laughs> have you uh have you watched Robert's penguin lecture? Uh he has one. I don't think I have. Uh, it's very good. Oh. Yeah. I will. There's some really strong stuff in that. Uh Penguin often very often um has pretty good uh bundles mm-hmm. where you can buy, you know, you can get discounts on penguin lectures. Um, the, I, I don't know if I want to, I almost just want to do this as a mental experiment. I don't know if I really want to do this, but I kind of do want to cut together the first four seconds of every single Penguin le- Live lecture. Cause do you know what it is? No. It's Dan Harlan going, <laughs> yeah! yeah, getting his audience, uh, you know, excited, but it's just, it's unbearable. What a character that guy it is. It starts with him just like, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> Uh, and I, if he's done it on every single lecture, I kind of want to make a supercut. <laughs> That's so funny. You, uh, please do. Uh, what a character. Uh, that being said, he has also created one of the most iconic magic tricks of like the last 20 years. Yes. Yeah, that's the that's still uh, little, cartoon. Uh, and then also um, like tweaked it going into yeah, Fool Us. Yeah, Fool Us. He did another version of it. And I don't really know how it works, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I don't think he's selling that one either. I don't think so. Yeah. He's part of a tradition of people like with established famous effects and tweaking them to fool Penn and Teller. Yeah. Paul Gertner did the same thing. Oh, that's right. But then he did sell that variation. What was the Paul Gertner one? Paul Gertner was unshuffled where the you have lines on a deck of cards that oh, shape right. shift to uh, on the side of a deck of cards shape shift to spell out, you know, someone's name or something. That's or a, a bunch prediction. of pharaohs, right? 
I can't remember to be honest. With I you. think yeah, it's there are pharaohs of, involved. Yeah, <laughs> I would love. But to he has a the, new finale of it, like a kicker that uh-huh. he did on the show that fooled Penn and Teller. Like it does at another time when it shouldn't be able to on the famous version, and it fooled them. But that is for sale. You can buy that on um, um, whatever magic tricks are sold. Do you? Uh, I've I've noticed that there's our like affinities for magic are lining up in sort of like complementary areas because I've noticed. I don't think in terms of buying stuff. Like, do you follow when like people go to Blackpool and? put up youtube vlogs of like all the tricks that are for sale and i magic fest and I, like i said i i'm not a huge i i sort of zag from my generation and just in terms of i'm not a big social media person i mean you commented on that i rarely post on um social media yeah and so i don't follow a lot of like blogs and stuff and right. so uh like a lot of the these websites that are putting out new things like this is the hottest trick at you know magic live uh you follow a lot of these sort of yeah, like vlogs and, and stuff more yeah. than I do. So your your finger is on the pulse of those. The hot trick from Blackpool is Minto. I have Minto. It's very good. Oh. Yeah. When I've never used this? it. I got it at Magic Live last year just because he showed ah. the, at the uh, Vanishing Ink booth that exact, that British guy who's on the video, he showed her to me and it fooled me and I went, 25 bucks? Hell yeah. <laughs> I cannot do it. It's harder oh. than I thought it was. <laughs> um, there's a lot of fumbling. Around. I feel like there's a lot of... But it's a great um, trick. And, from my experience and from what people uh, i hear people talk about it seems like there's a lot of like buying something and then just setting aside and never using it oh sure that is because <laughs> people talk about that's like, as iconic and magic as a rabbit from a hat well because people talk about like buying it and putting it in a drawer yeah. is what i hear a lot right um so that minto's in your drawer yeah. for so whatever reason at blackpool it was a big hit and on like, my nightstand actually what it's on my nightstand actually it's not <laughs> in a drawer it's on a stand um and uh, I also want to get this thing called Blade by Nicholas Lawrence. That um, I do not know. Um, and the other thing that I noticed is that you don't seem to be that into like different kinds of cards. No, I, I never gave a shit about like the the card when the card phase hit. Yeah, like the new. Nox well, because I mean the, they're so expensive. Yeah, and so I, I was always just like twelve bucks. Right. I accidentally said that in front of Dan and Dave Buck uh-huh. uh, at my first ever Magic Live. They had this fun thing. Where they had this card, they had a guy stand inside of like a cardboard box that they had said card vending machine, and they basically had they had taped a single playing card from a billion different decks uh-huh. on this thing, and then put a little sl- with a price number you know under it, and then just a little c- slot, uh, and that uh, we you would just put like the whatever the dollar amount was through this cutout in the cardboard. And then the, whoever's in the cardboard box would like shake the box a little bit and then just pass the deck through a slot at the bottom. Uh-huh. And so um, I was standing around it and I, and someone's like, yeah, you should do it. And I didn't realize Dan and Dave Buck were standing there who were like the big pioneers of, you know, cardistry and all of those cool decks of cards, you know, Theory 11, and all that. And so I was like, ah. there was one that I'm like, this one looks pretty cool, but $12, I don't know. <laughs> and I didn't realize. And they're like, well, it's the experience. I was like, yeah, I guess. And then I did it. And then I was like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> that was embarrassing. <laughs> and you, but you spent twelve dollars. I did. You just, oh, oh, I did. No, I did. Oh. Uh, but I, I, I was kind of like, a, "This is this is a little silly, right, everybody?" <laughs> twelve bucks <laughs> for that card. But yeah, I've never been huge into that. Um, there are some really cool cards though, and you know, you can see that there's a big glass case of all in the magic at the Magic Apple, and there's some that are open that you can kind of play with, and they're cool. Yeah, they're just not. I'm a I'm I'm a simple man. I think it's when I go, tastes. I've been to the Magic Magic Apple twice now. Cool place. Um, and I think that. The appeal of the cards as well is that uh, I kind of always want to buy something when I go into a store, right. and like getting a deck of cards for like five bucks or six bucks is, a, you know, a little way of showing respect to the store. Sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Support magic stores. Support brick and mortar. Those are very important. Little uh, uh, for all of the love I give towards is that one. Real? Uh, this is this is a real tube of chapstick. Oh damn! Uh, I'm sorry. I thought we were, we were talking about magic conventions, and then chapstick shows up in yeah. so many tricks. <laughs> it does. Uh, chapstick through Bill. Yeah. Um, uh, for all the love I give Juan Tomres, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I, there was a, a, a tiny like, oh, what the fuck moment. So he had this private workshop at FISM last year that I was very lucky to, to, to snag a spot to. And it was like $100 extra. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the nicer ones, like you know, you had to pay like 100 Like Hector Mancha had one that you had to pay $100 for. Matthew Beach. They all these little private four-hour. Avner, um, who's an incredible clown mm-hmm. um, and not a magician. And... Uh, who also ended up putting on one of the best shows I've ever seen at FISM. He had this hour-long show. It was incredible. Anyway, so Juan Tomrez, he sold all this stuff, and I didn't really have a lot of cash because, you know, I 
paid a hundred dollars to to be at this thing, which was well worth the money. But then I wanted to buy something, and and so he was selling these Wonton Res decks of cards, these cool purple decks of cards. Yes, uh-huh. that you could, you've seen at the Magic. Yes, Apple. I did. So you, don't spoil the end of the story. Oh, I don't know anyone. Oh, uh, but uh, so I bought two of those decks of cards uh-huh. um, in U.S. dollars, and it was a uh, twenty dollars each. Each deck was twenty bucks, and um, I so I bought two. I opened one. I had him sign a Joker. And I'm very happy that I have that. Like three weeks later, I go to the Magic Apple, and I and I'm trying to find those cards online. I'm trying to see like I didn't have a lot of money. I'm like I don't want to spend a lot of money, but I do really want these cards. I really want to support the lecture, and I want to get him to sign something. And I, you know, I didn't know I was going to be at this, so I didn't like bring a book or something for him to sign and right. have the room for it. So I was like, hey, I'm just going to buy these, and because I couldn't find a place online where I could get them, and it didn't feel like they were selling them online. Two weeks later, I'm at the Magic Apple, and they have those same cards I spent forty dollars on for two decks for twelve dollars a deck. I'm like, motherfucker, Juan Tomares. <laughs> but you, you know what? As the Dan and Dave guys say, it was the experience. It was the experience. It was you a got very to meet nice. him. I had a great. I got a photo with him, and it was a really incredible, very very inspiring you got his experience. Autograph. Yeah. Um. Speaking of, uh, I had something to, to mention, unless you had something else. No, no, go ahead. I had something I was going to ask you about. I So I texted you something last week. Oh, yes. I had voice chatted onto my phone. I was like, text Chris Grace. And I had basically said this idea because I had an idea in my car that I wanted to put down on paper. And I thought I could kill two birds with one stone by also texting it to you to get your direct uh, director's <laughs> right. comments on it. And then I said, I apologize if some of this doesn't make sense. I am voice chatting it and not proofreading if all of these come out. Yeah. And I went home and read it. I'm like, this was nonsense that I texted you. <laughs> and you were like, yes, I will definitely need to hear that in person. So here it is. And yes. so we can talk about this kind of openly. Uh, I will have to go into a little bit of method stuff there. So sorry for anyone who doesn't like that we go into methods on this podcast. It is for the blindfold routine I Oh, by the way, I reread the original letter that the whoever the guy wrote to Alan Ackerman that was like, oh, here's uh, how I find the three locations or whatever. Yes, um, I found that. Uh, I actually looked and I found that uh, Xerox page in uh, my bookcase the other day. The man's name is Steve Ellers. Yes, E H L E R S. Yeah, I could never remember that guy's name. But also, I think. But it sounds like it's based on an Ackerman routine. I don't know. Um. But uh, almost every phase of it, you've tweaked. Like it's not your what you do is not really what he does. I mean, it, it's the method maybe is the same, but the it's not the same as a routine. Right. I added the blindfold, which changes changes the handling of a couple of those. Yeah, yeah, because uh, that one he's he's doing a lot more. Doesn't he like pick up the packet and like spread it himself? Yeah. So the, the first, so um, yeah. I have a different justification uh, for the first phase and yes, the first card yes, but what yes. he does is he's not blindfolded and he fans the cards out again and he kind of goes through them in front of the spectator's face which is part of the method and i've changed that a little bit yeah i think that's an improvement the uh, the the method is ultimately the same i'm still doing the same thing but it is with a different justification and a different yes and, and you know not to toot my own horn too much but like i would say the jonathan levitt I, I i like that because it is a very comedic moment and it gets there's a joke in there that gets a big laugh while yeah. also still accomplishing something that i need to do which is what leads me to this thing i want to ask you oh yes okay um so for anyone that has not seen it the conceit of the routine is that i blindfold myself and then i have three people cut a pile of cards to hold on to they memorize the bottom card and then through different methods uh i i I divine what those three cards are Uh, and each one kind of gets a little bit more impossible Mm -hmm. like i said i i found it in this alan ackerman book uh, I think it's called Las Vegas Cardma is the book. Uh-huh. And it's like triple location or something. So, something like that. It's a very, very nondescript name and like a page long description. Really strong trick. By the way, were you just reading it and just like, hey, like something just tickled your brain of like, this seems like a good thing. Because the, the description of it in the book is pretty No, like, someone vanilla. Had, someone had told me that there was a really cool Alan Ackerman trick that used this method. Uh, okay. And um. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. So then I was also an Alan Ackerman is great. So I was flipping through an Alan Ackerman book in the library, and that's when I stumbled upon it. Uh, and then I've changed it over, you know, a couple months. Yeah. But it was, I mean, I the moment I, I mean, the moment you read it, and then you kind of you act it out, and you see how clever it is, you go, oh fuck, I'm going to do this everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, because it's not that. I, like, I, I, mean, I showed people the next day, and I was like, hey, and then they're like, wow, that was amazing. And I went, I know, and then I now I do it in every show. I every, <laughs> you're like, I know, I know, it's so good. Well, I mean, I can, I feel like I can, I'm comfortable saying that because it's not my yeah, idea. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I know, I am great, but like, I'm like, I know this trick, it's so hard. But anyway, so the I have a blindfold on, and I need to do, and this is as far as I'll get into the method. But I, I like doing a false shuffle with this routine. I uh-huh. think it's an important part of 
making the trick a little deceptive. However, I have a, I really don't enjoy, I don't enjoy the phrases don't run when you're not being chased. You, you do or you don't enjoy I that. don't enjoy that. The idea... I, by the way, I was going to tweet out or maybe put on Instagram a joke I had written. Why are so many magicians out of shape? Because they won't run unless they're being chased. That's really funny. <laughs> That's very good. Um, so don't run when you're chased, meaning... Um, yeah, don't overprove that something is normal when nobody is challenging the fact that it's normal. Right. Right? Like, you know, if you have a coin on a table, the idea is don't... <laughs> don't uh, don't you be don't like inspect be like... this coin. This is regular, right? There are no magnets. There's no anything like this. Yeah. The sort of the theory is that I, as an audience member, I'm thinking. Well, I wasn't thinking that, but wait, are magnetic coins a thing? And now I'm kind of in my head about right. gimmicked coins in a way that I might not have been. Right. Right. So uh, don't you... like if don't you don't need to say look every card is different because right. why wouldn't they be? You're just kind of planting this idea, i.e., running from you know the logic they might have when no one's actually chasing you. No one's thinking these things. You're just kind of introducing them yourselves out of paranoia. Okay, so you do agree with that philosophy. I do. I think you should, when not necessary. For instance, if I am doing a coin trick, and, and at the end of a trick, if, you, if you've if you done something and you would say, now, look, check that everything is normal, that's okay, but I don't necessarily think you should start with that. Right. I So if I'm doing a trick with, like, four coins, and rather than saying look, check these four coins and make sure they're normal. What I'll do is I will just stack the four coins and say, we'll get these in a second, sir, because you hold on to these, and I'll drop them into their hand. Uh-huh. And so I can still get the moment where, oh, someone held them, someone didn't inspect them, without me really shoving it down their throats of, look, you you just checked those coins. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of handles both of those. I So with that same thing, is I don't want to oversell that I'm shuffling the cards because uh-huh. I don't want people to think about that as an important part of the method. I don't want to draw too much attention to like, look, look how look how well these cards are being mixed up. There's right. no way they're in any order. Now I can do this trick. On the other hand, I do believe that if they think those cards are shuffled and they remember seeing them shuffled, it does add to the impossibility of that effect. And that is a, something Pitt Hartling talked about in um, several of his books, I think specifically in order to amaze the idea of you know, an audience for, for a stacked deck routine to work, an audience really has to... Um, believe that they're shuffled uh and so that's a very important part how do you do that in an effective way Mm -hmm. so i had an idea that i wanted to talk to you about and we can sort of this might be a good way for people to kind of watch our process is i put the blindfold on Mm -hmm. usually i'll just kind of shuffle the cards and i'm shuffling them very passively and you even said sometimes you haven't even noticed that i'm shuffling um so but i am doing false shuffles on the table without drawing a lot of attention (laughs) let me do that one again (laughs) Oh, I think you that's not what you just did. Oh no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't really doing a shuffle. I wasn't. I was just like, yeah. <laughs> that's like just cut and put the first back back on. Right. No, I was just screwing around. I box. do like that one. That's where you just like cut and make three stacks and just pick them back up again. Uh, yeah. Um. So, I was. I've been thinking a lot. Like, how do I make it clear that these cards are shuffled without drawing lots of attention to like, hey, everybody, look at me shuffling these cards. Mm-hmm. And I had an idea that I don't know exactly the comedic timing of, mm-hmm. but I, I thought you could help out. And that would be I w- putting the blindfold on first. So with the blindfold on, and of course my eyes are, you know, I'm not peeking. I'm not, uh, I really am blindfolded. I would pick up the cards and then I would try to do like a shuffle, like in the, in the air uh-huh. while I'm blindfolded. And I could do that false shuffle while Ideally, getting a comedic moment out of the tension and stress and difficulty of shuffling these cards uh-huh. with the blindfold on. Yeah. So what that would do is it would, again, they would remember the cards being shuffled because laughs create memories. And so if they, there's a good joke, it would create a memory that would be instilled with them about the moment when those cards were shuffled. Yeah. While also, you know, allowing me to do my false shuffle without drawing too much overt attention to... Look how mixed up these cards are. Um, <laughs> I mean, just say that. Yeah, I might just say that. Do you see what I mean? Does that make more sense now? That yeah. I so, what, how would you get into it then? So you uh, like just what would the language be? I see, and that's what I, I haven't really figured because, out. Because okay, yet. one potential approach is you put the blindfold on and you start the, and then you say like, "Oh, I forgot to shuffle." Uh, okay, you know what? <laughs> I mean, you can lean into like. It's you know what it's too much trouble to take the blindfold off. Let me just shuffle this way. This right. is going to be difficult, and then you do it. That's one way into it. Um, I, I ideally, again, I'm trying to avoid as many sentences like that. So my, my, my first instinct was to do it silently. I put the blindfold on and I pick up the cards and then 
the first thing I would be it was maybe I would do something like this. Uh-huh. Like, you know, um, as a joke that I think it's working, but it's not. Yeah, but uh, that highlights that you. Uh, that to me, so basically, what I did, what also did. what I just did was I I cut two piles in the air and then I just riffled them next to each other without them ever touching and then just put one yeah. pile back on top of the other. As sort of a joke, and then that'll lead into me doing it for real. So the only issue with that is for me is that if it if it's if you have enough control over where these packs are to make a joke out of it, right. then I might think that you can see through the blindfold. Good point. Well, what about this? <clears throat> what about this? Let me try this one. Um, and for context, I'll, I'll I'll explain after I do it. Here we go. I'll put the blindfold on. I'll pick these up. All right, Chris, are you there? Yes. Okay, stop me when these are like close to each other. Yes. Good. <laughs> Yeah. So what I did there was I held them kind of far apart and then I moved them together and had them stop me when they were in touching distance. But I also wouldn't really necessarily need you to do that, would I? <laughs> I could just feel, I don't know. Also because it's like we assume you've shuffled cards like a jillion times in your life. And right. like, um, Something I have discovered with that routine is um, I like doing it at Magic Bar because Magic Bar is such a long uh like seating arrangement there's like eight seats yeah. and so you want to sort of spread things out and what i do now is i pick people anytime i do the trick there i I pick people i used to do like three people next to each other and now i'll do people every other seat right um which kind of spans most of the bar and what's cool about that is like i said i'm not peeking and so my object memory only takes me so far because i'm moving up and down the bar a lot oh, oh so I there's see. lots so of you, genuine there's genuine there is genuine blindness when it comes to trying to remember where these people are yeah. or talking to people or like yesterday you know i got one person's pack of cards back after i found their card i put it down later i wanted to pick it up as a way of you know showing the next person what to do with their cards i had to do something a little bit different and i couldn't find them it took me a second to find them and that's that's been pretty a, a cool way to create very yeah, authentic useful. moments of blindness. Um, okay, two questions for you. One is, uh, is there such a thing as like a, uh, can? is there any false shuffle you can do where like the audience participates with you? <laughs> like, I, has anyone invented like a, like where you riffle one half and the audience riffles the other half and it's a false shuffle? You could probably do something like that. Um, second one is, where does this fall in the don't run when you're not being chased? Thing because my question is like my feeling is that yeah it might be completely full it of doesn't shit. have to be super validated but you might also by sort of doing it in the way you're saying where you're not underlining it it might sort of this is what's so difficult to measure is it might make it more magical for an audience member but in a way that they can't articulate because especially if you're not highlighting like look it was shuffled they might just feel like it was that more impossible. Mm-hmm. But I people already feel that this trick is pretty impossible when I've seen you do it for people. That being said, anytime I've ever pressed somebody on how they thought it was done uh-huh. or... Uh, oh, they were like... They must be in order. Even if they can't articulate how or why or... And, and truthfully, I mean, that is one of the things that I tell people a lot, not like in an angry way, but if I'm if I'm with some guests and they, I, and they go, oh, well, it must be this. When yeah. they see a trick, I will kind of like press them on how few questions that actually answers about the trick. Right. You know, like if someone goes, Oh, the car must be in order. I go, sure. But if I'm not, if this person cuts and I've never touched their pile, if I, you know, and I'm, I'm genuinely not look like how many questions is that really answering what you just said? Yeah. All right. Um, but it can also show maybe, uh, spots where I think you talked previously about Tamri's, how he's saying like sort of eliminate right. all, like patch up all the logic False spots. methods. He calls them, um, yeah, and I mean because like there's no way for you to have an audience member shuffle it unless you want to do a deck switch. There is. There's a couple ways, and one I'll talk to you about uh-huh. off mic because um, I don't know if it's effective. You get a professional magician to shuffle it. Yeah, yeah. You I'm get- gonna just have you and a mustache. Uh, we already have a mustache. Well, by but- the way, I just read an article about um, uh, I, like I don't know how legit this is, but a guy wrote a thing about like how to use stooges and hide them really that it was just like the whole the whole notes was about this is the best way to use stooges in your act in in a way that like if you had someone that could do a false shuffle you'd hand it to them in the audience to do i get a i get a sense that you just do not like the use of stooges and magic in any at all well actually i like instant stooges I think that's kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a very fun. I, I guess you would that would fall under dual reality almost, 
but like basically when you're uh because the the receipt into hundred dollar bill thing that i mm-hmm. um i don't know if i post talked about it, it on tiktok i post it on tiktok that comes with an extra routine that's not doesn't use the gimmick at all it's you basically use a receipt from you do it with the waiter basically you give the receipt to the waiter the waiter puts the receipt in his pocket and it comes out of the twenty dollar bill and it's structured in a way that's really fun i think that i would be willing to try will you show that to me after yeah this? yeah uh it's very silly but it's um so i like the idea of that for, for example here's an idea i had based on a andy jerks uh thing mm-hmm. which is you how do i explain this you use an invisible deck and you go you have two people mm-hmm. and you say what we're gonna do is we're gonna hypnotize you one at a time uh i'm gonna hypnotize you um and this is andy's setup is that you it's a genuine stooge like the first person is going along with it and you're fooling the second person my idea is i think you can instant stooge this by saying like all right which one of you is more believes more in hypnosis or whatever and then I think you could, if you had a friendly audience member, you could basically say like, so now if you're like a cool person, you'd probably go along with this. If you, if I said that I was hypnotizing you basically like suggest, like just act along with it. So what it is, is you would go count 10 to one and pretend this person's hypnotized. And then they, um, pick a card out of the blue. You take the card and reverse it in the deck and put it, this is all in a regular, uh, regular uh it's an invisible deck but you're using it as if it's a regular deck you you manually like go through it switch it do that and it takes like five four minutes or whatever mm-hmm. uh and then you act like now you're waking up and if you look in this deck your card is reversed and then you know everybody in the room knows you didn't actually hypnotize them you took like three minutes right. and then the second person you go like now we're going to do the same thing with you ten nine eight seven say card whatever and then you instantly wake them back up and you use invisible deck to be like your card's reversed. Oh, cool. So um so basically the second person should get an effect of like, oh wait, like did they hypnotize me, go through all this like manuals, moving the card around and That's it, pretty cool. You know, I think it's like an interesting uh, idea so like that kind of stooging i think is great. Uh, what do you what's your thoughts on stooges in general? I don't know, it goes back and forth. Uh Yeah. I I'm not a huge fan, but well, then it becomes theater doesn't it sure like just pure well uh fism doesn't even uh, fism does not allow stooges and yeah. they in fact it, it comes down to their definition of what magic is yeah um they're like they, they don't even necessarily say we don't allow stooges they say like as part of the rules you must be performing magic and then they define what that means and they go magic is something that you know performed for an audience that is not in on how uh, on the method and and the spectators you're using are genuine and not yeah part of the method that is happening yeah i yeah it's like there's definitely room for assistance to be used right but an assistant that comes on stage you know that he's part of your act the whole time right so someone acting like yeah i mean i saw a show on broadway years ago for it was maybe called like drummed or something uh that was all um African drumming. Mm-hmm. It's a great show. This is really like when Stomp was popular. Right. Um, and then everyone had to have a percussion-based Broadway show. Yes. It was on Broadway. Lots of drumming. And then at one point, they... Oh, we had drums in our seats. Oh, no. And we could drum along with it. It was actually really fun. But then they were like, let's bring someone up from the audience to come drum. <laughs> and they brought this gangly white guy, like looked like a nerd. And he's like, what? And he's like, okay, I guess I'll try. And then he sat down on the drum kit and just like was like amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and he was he was a stooge and even then i was kind of annoyed because <laughs> i was well, like you know i'll oh, go ahead no i was just like oh this is oh this is cool like i re- i wanted to be like they happened to pull up a great drummer right. but at the end he was like no i'm part of it. he took a curtain call with them and everything okay um yeah because i think there is this feeling at least in magic well have you all also have you ever seen the episode of bob's burgers um where there's a stomp-esque show no, called I patty cake no and then he just gets obsessed with doing patty cake. And you, you see like a few clips of like just a stomp rip off of their adult doing patty cake. And it's hilarious. <laughs> and then the rest of the episode, he just keeps going around and people going, cake with me. Come on, cake with me. <laughs> no, I've not seen that. Uh, but Which character? Bob. Oh. Bob's okay. doing that. That's great. 
Um, anyway, so the thing about with magic is there's this weird trust you have that a spectator you're bringing up or there's this weird agreement that that person is a sort of a conduit to the audience. And a lot of people even write that into their scripts that, you know, this is, there's a big theater, there's a lot of people, I'm doing a card trick, so you're kind of the eyes and the ears of the audience. Yeah. And so I obviously no one would ever really do this, but kind of the idea is that if there's something fishy going on, that person is there to see it and stop it. Yeah should the need arise and i think yeah, even if you don't necessarily see that i think that is still sort of the unspoken bond there and i yeah. think that is a problem people have with it I, and also i th- i mean I, i'm gonna call out right now a method that i read about how to stooge people which okay. i think is just such bullshit and also Did i you saw them 20 dollars before the show <laughs> no i saw it in uh uh it was on like a james corden thing recently um oh. they did this and i was like yeah, this is what happened. Like, obviously, and like a million people in, in the YouTube are just like, this is just what happened, right? And it was this, and this is also in those notes that I read. And I'm like, how could anyone be fooled by this? It's take a hundred crumpled up balls of paper and put them in a bowl and mark an X on one of them. And then now we're going to throw all hundred paper balls out in the audience and the one who caught the X comes up to the stage. And it's like, like I, my, I think it was on James Corden, maybe his talent show or whatever. But like everybody underneath was like, "Yeah, there was no X in on any of the pieces of paper in the bowl," and someone in the audience is like, "I caught it." Like, oh, that that's all it is. And it's like, it seems so apparent when I watched it, right? And then I read it in these notes as if it's like a method that is. I find that method offensive. <laughs> <laughs> I, on so many, I think it's a, such a assumption of stupidity on the audience's part, right? Um. Well, I think part of the problem is that there is such an such a quick and easy way to it is such a quick thing that spectators generally jump to that oh who you know something impossible happens you know I there's no way I could have known what number you were going to say what your name is whatever and that's you know I don't know tattooed on my wrist or what, whatever that is yeah. in this envelope it's sealed in this chest above hanging above us and oftentimes when people can't think of another method, they logically just go to, all right, well, the idea is there's information you couldn't have had. It's in a place where you could not have gotten it. Therefore, he must have had that information before. Therefore, this person must be a stooge. It's not that illogical. It makes yeah. a lot of sense if the trick is done well. So I think that is always a, a, a hill we have to jump up, uh, you know, climb up. There's a, you know, there's an effect I do with a card that appears in a book. And you've seen it. It's a, I think it's a great effect. I thought it was great. It's uh, it's it's a wonderful effect. I do it a lot, and then I uh, I saw someone I knew at Magic Bar. He saw he had seen me. It was the first time he'd seen me perform. He brought his wife, who had never met me, and she watched me perform. And then the next day, he had I, I can't remember how this information got back to me, but he told my mom or something, and she texted me. But I guess his wife was convinced that I just had someone. I just stooged it that somebody had, you know, said the, the the page number that car would appear at. Uh-huh. And I went, and I never even considered that. I went, oh, fuck. I, <laughs> I have to now you put to, something in so that people know that there's not a stooge involved. What's that, Tamri's thing? False methods? False methods. Yeah, the, you know, the idea of... So that's one. Yeah, that's one. Yeah. Uh, so I, which I, I might just have to rely on. Um, the problem with that is, I have to do it early, because the problem with that is there's such a buildup of... of what I try to make is convincing a possible moment yeah. where I, people think I messed up yeah. and it's really awkward and long and drawn out. <laughs> that, that's your wheelhouse. Oh, I love it. I, it makes me feel so good. <laughs> you it sometimes go longer than I'm, I'm just like, I'm getting, I, I even know this is not a real mess up and I'm getting right. uncomfortable. Yeah. It's well, because I'm just so sick of people being like, Oh, that, that wasn't your card. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened. Oh, uh, 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 what's inside the box? Like, you know, yeah, just, yeah. it's such bullshit. Like, you want them to sit. If you're it. gonna do a trick where you pretend to mess up, <laughs> lean into it, baby. I mean, if we went by how many times magicians mess up in their tricks, I would say overall the field is very incompetent. <laughs> <'Cause it's laughs> happening at least once or twice per act. Right, that's a very, very common thing, and nobody commits to it. And so I'm like, what if I just had one moment where I really, yeah. really leaned into it? Do you try to then only do one of those moments per show? Yeah. Because they're in a more than one of your effects, I think. Right. And um, you know what's funny is that was uh, one of the nights you saw it. It was actually very interesting because the trick didn't work. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. A trick, um, somebody was opening a deck of cards that had a finale set in it, and it was very clear it built up the finale. You they know, dropped the cards. They dropped the cards everywhere, and it was totally yeah. ruined. And there was a really, really, I mean, it was great, and it was so funny and entertaining. <laughs> and but then also you took a big swing to patch that up. Yes. Remember I, you were like, and then, you know what? I can do it anyway. And then you had thought you had cut to something 
there was a moment where you really committed yes. to like this is really going to save it yeah and then I had to save that one too. I yes. thought that, that was an impressive. Uh, but the trick ultimately did end up working. Yeah, it did. At the end of the at the, uh, the very long and winding road we got there. But well, I don't know that an audience member would have totally known that that was not on purpose. The whole thing. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't think I, I had some guests. I had quite a few people I knew there actually, but uh, nobody had really said that to me. But I definitely don't think it was that outside the realm of possibility because of how. Uh, funny it was and it yeah. was so entertaining and i was you know i really did not mind and because again that like i was saying last week and like i, I i've said before you know it was such a, a a real moment and it was such a reminder of how present we all were and yeah. it was such a cool unique thing that we that was never really gonna happen again it was yeah. so specific and i could never recreate it was kind of fun i knew i had other stuff to do i knew that there was maybe a way i could save that and so it was just you know at the end of the day, I could people were enjoying it, and, and so it was a good, it was a fun experience. Yeah. But what's strange about that? It was that at the end of that show, I, I went, "Oh fuck!" As I was doing this trick, where I pretended to mess up, I don't think it hit as well as it really <laughs> right. did because people knew. What I think it looked that like. is true. Yeah. People knew what it looked like when it actually did not work. Yeah. And then when I do this trick where I pretend to mess up, I was much more awkward and quiet about it, and they, and it was in stark contrast. And I think maybe people could tell. Yeah, I just realized. I think I'm going to be the magician that pretends to succeed in the middle of the act. <laughs> the, oops oh i got it right and then then mess it up that's a i think that's a safe uh margin of error for me to approach it from absolutely uh we should call it an episode because we're going to be uh getting a little bit ahead of ourselves yeah we're going to start banking some episodes from when i'm out of town yeah um so uh you should follow us we have social media yeah social now. media follows at setup podcast and go on Facebook and follow us at, at the setup uh, discussions and comedy and magic. And you can email us at setuppod at gmail.com. Yes. Um, so, John, is my magic bar run is finished for now? No, I have. Um, oh. uh, Ragtime got extended, so I have one more. Oh, that's right. So, Ragtime uh, uh, at Pasadena Playhouse was extended. It's doing very well. Yeah. And so I will be there back this next Tuesday with Nick Paul. Oh, um, exciting. I'm very excited for that. I've never worked with him before, but he's a super nice guy. Is that sold out as well? Um, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, it seems like there have been, um, like, there's some ability for people to sort of, like, sometimes people don't show up for their reservation, or, like, it seems like you have one or two seats of wiggle room occasionally. Occasionally, yeah. yeah. Um, so there might be some tickets available left. I'm not sure. Or just go, you can stand outside the little sliding wooden door and listen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We we eat, uh, we eat your wood fired pizza. Right, <laughs> the food there is fantastic. It is good. It's very good. Uh, well, we'll see you next time. See you next time.